If you start a new endeavor and you're just repeating what someone else has tried, it's not going to be different because it's you. It can only be different if you do something which is actual different. So to follow the crowd and do something as everyone else is doing with the same type of solution and expecting a different result, it's irresponsible. You need if to, to, to do change, you need to drive change. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Great Business Minds podcast, the definitive show for the business of digital infrastructure. I'm your host, Jean-Marc Lima, and I use my experience as a digital infrastructure journalist to dig deep into business issues, but also get to know those who build our digital worlds. Great Business Minds is brought to you by Portman Partners, the premier executive search firm for the digital infrastructure industry. With more than 50 years of experience, no other firm can match their knowledge, discretion and connections with the best top-level talent in the sector. So are you seeking great business minds for your digital infrastructure business? Contact Portman Partners today. This week we are joined by someone who I have been waiting to chat for a long time, not only for what he's building at the moment, but also for his slightly unusual background when compared to other data center executives. From Portugal, it is my pleasure to welcome Afonso Salema, who is heading one of Europe's largest data center capital deployments. With a price tag of 4.2 billion US dollars, Start Campus Project in Sins aims to create one of the largest European data centers and redesign how collocation and hosting is done. But before we jump on the discussion around Start Campus and the ins and outs of the venture, here's a bit more information about Afonso. Afonso has a degree in industrial engineering and management from the Institut Superior Technico in Lisbon and has spent 15 years in investment banking in London, New York and Madrid, covering the renewable energy, energy and infrastructure sectors, having briefly worked for EDP between 2009 and 2011. This deep dive into capital markets around the energy segment gives executive an interesting advantage in the climate transition that every data center operator is facing today. We will be covering this as well as the current topics around data centers becoming a utility, the looming economic recession, and how the sector should not ignore the warning bells of Wall Street, and how to navigate the backlash against data center developments in different geographies due to land, power, and water usage. With that said, he joins me now from the Portuguese capital, where he's based. And Afonso, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. It's a pleasure speaking to you. Um, I've been paying a lot of attention to what you're doing um, in Portugal down in scenes, not because I have a, a personal interest in Portugal, but <laughs> um, it's, it's fascinating to see what's happening on the grounds um, in the country and across Iberia as well. Uh, but before we go into, into the market itself, let's talk through your own personal uh, story, your personal journey. Um, talk us through how you got involved with the digital infrastructure space. Well, uh, thank, thank you, Joe. And um, let me start by thanking you for, for this invite. It's an honor to be uh, on this podcast, especially given the, the previous uh, conversations you had. Um, the, digital, the digital infrastructure um, has come, it's fairly recent. I've been I've been focused on on infrastructure in, in, in the power side and renewable side for most of my career. Uh, I actually started real estate, pure real estate, um, and and I've always been very close to to strategy and the development 
uh, of companies around uh, around anything that was deemed as a real asset. So infrastructure projects, real estate, renewables, and as of late, uh, digital infrastructure. So that's been part of my core, but the, the digital infrastructure came about, um, it, it's due to, know, to a very specific, very specific observation. I'm not sure if you noticed, Rome, but there are two unstoppable trends going on right now. Um, the first one is on the energy side. And you have a trend towards taking out everything that's coal or nuclear-based out of the developed countries. Uh, it's going to be harder on countries which are in the development. And that could be a whole podcast just dedicated to that topic. Mm -hmm. But that trend is unstoppable. And in the wake of it, you're leaving a lot of very nice sites from an infrastructure uh, perspective orphaned. And you speak with the power guys and the power guys, they all said, oh, let's do biomass. Never forget that biomass is a niche, but everyone has the same solution and the same solution is not applied. So effectively what will happen is that you'll have all of these sites and last time I've, I've counted them, you had 530 sites in Europe, uh, which are going to get orphaned. Uh, and with that, they'll leave good roads, good access, power, and populations um, that relied on that uh, with nothing else to do. On the other side, you have the digital infrastructure. Digital infrastructure was a very niche play. And to the point that you still have different mentalities on digital infrastructure, whether you're speaking with anyone covering the Asian markets, the US markets, or the European markets, because they all came, they all came from very different backgrounds. Um, so it has not set, uh, it's setting right now, but it has not set as, uh, as an asset class uh, of its own with its all ecosystems and its own mentalities and business models set in stone. Um, and the digital infrastructure, especially when you look into the data center space, the need is growing, uh, but also is the need to create bigger, more efficient and better. Uh, and that collides with a lot, of, uh, a lot of the restraints that you're seeing across Europe. So you need a new solution. And that's where I believe that these two trends meet and hence the project of Sinish Quatponser. Um, I know that you wanted to ask me, so perhaps I, I just, take the liberty and go at it directly, how this idea came about. But so these two, I had, I was mulling about these two trends for quite a while. And, and as you can see in my, my background, I'm a strategist, strategist uh, uh, at heart. Um, and they had to fit together. These two had to fit together. So I started, I was still working in an advisory side, investment banking, but I've started speaking with some investors on how to make this work. And um, they all were saying the idea is sound, is good, but you need a lot of execution. You need to do this very fast and you need to prove that this, that um, this is sustainable and, and can work in the future. And this is not just the latest fad. Um, and when I met my current shareholders, they said, drop everything. I want, we want you to work 100% focus on this. Let's, uh, we'll fund you, uh, get the right team, 
uh, and get going on this. And this was a very hard learning into this space. In the meantime, I had used the network that investment banking had given me also to paying with some hyperscalers what they thought about it, what makes sense, uh, was it a doom project, was it, was it uh, something that they would look with good eyes. And I received very positive feedback right at the onset. And this is late 2019. So pretty newbie to the sector. I mean, I, I've got, there's, there's a, a wave of follow-up questions that I could ask now. <laughs> I'm going to try yes. to organize in my it, mind and try to not forget them. Um, I was going to say, in, in the first parts, I mean, in your personal story, um, you're very much that new kind of generational people coming into the industry that we've been talking about for a while, um, where we need to go and pick up talent from other sectors, more mature sectors. Um, like the pure real estate play or like the energy. Um, when you came into the digital infrastructure space, especially the data center space, and you, you've sort of mentioned, you, you touched on this before. Um, what did you see that, um, I mean, what was the good, the bad and the ugly when you came into this sector? Um, based <laughs> I on love that question. I love that question. So that's a very good question. Um, I think what I saw was uh, a tremendous opportunity to, to consolidate the sector. I mean, the sector mm. is the good. It has tremendous growth. It's one of the few sectors which still has, regardless of the economic cycle, that, uh, the point of the economic cycle that we are, it still offers a tremendous growth and tremendous opportunities for, for those who know how to take it. Now, the bad, I saw too many intermediaries who have no clue what their client business are. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll share with you some experience, but I was invited for, um, for a panel in London. I'm not going to say which one is it. So I don't, I don't, <laughs> I'm not, I don't point that I don't point any specific people, but one of the questions from the audience was, is power relevant for the data center industry? Oh, wow. Exactly. And the answer, and I'm speaking about someone who has over 30 years of data center experience, was that, no, it's not. It's irrelevant. And I kept on thinking, I'm in the right time, in the right time um, on the right industry right now, because the data center industry needs to reinvent itself. They cannot just be the niche, super sophisticated warehouse provider to, to complex clients. They need to start thinking about their own clients' value chains and how they can unlock further value for them. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, otherwise the, the industry will not meet any of the long-term uh, goals uh, of their clients, nor, uh, nor the regulators. And, uh, and that that's just that's, that's, doesn't make sense at all does not make sense that hyperscalers have uh, hundreds of thousands of engineers developing their own infrastructure. They should be focused on what they're good at. They should be focused on getting the right tools, the right hardware and software to develop their own business, not the infrastructure. That's something that should be uh, passed on to someone else. And if they're doing it, it means that the market is uh, it's, it's still not capable of delivering the right product to them. So I saw this tremendous opportunity. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that, that question that someone asked in that panel, I'm, I'm quite shocked by it because, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know where you want to go. Well, it's, don't, before putting that person into the stake, I think it's worth, it's worth thinking a little bit where the industry, especially in Europe, has come from. Um, so you, you kind of get where this person is coming from uh, because if you think about on a real estate mentality where location, 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 that's what drives. Um, then if you need to do a data center, which is, if, you're, if your driver is just a location, then he's actually right because there's very, there's very little you can do to improve on the power side. So mm. that's the cost of business for, it, it will be the same cost of business for everyone in the market. Now, that's a huge fallacy when you actually start slicing and dicing data centers for the type of use that uh, the different clients uh, give and, and especially with hyperscalers um, uh, uh, now in town. Um, if you see the development of hyperscale data centers, and unfortunately there isn't that, that amazing track, um, track record in terms of actual record keeping of, um, of these facilities. Um, but if you see them, they don't follow the location, location, location mentality. It's very different. They're actually looking, um, they're actually looking for ways to improve their global networks and they will deploy big, um, big, um, big facilities where it fits uh, a whole web of network and improves the customer experience, but also lowers overall cost. And that's what you need to bear in mind. You need to bear in mind what is it that your final client is looking for and how can you help them achieve that faster and without actually going through their own business model. No, absolutely. I mean, that's, I guess, how the Nordics rode their wave um, in the mid-2010s and Dublin as well over the last 10 years. Um, they, they've created those, those environments um, for the development to take place in that, that way. Um, exactly. Alphonse, uh, before we continue talking about the industry itself, I want to go back to you um, and talk about your, your journey. Um, can, can you tell us what experiences or people um, have influenced you over the years, um, which led you to where you are now, um, and what motivates you to keep going? Well, I had I had uh, amazing experiences. Uh, despite having started investment banking, I was always the oddball inside investment banking because mm. I wouldn't sit as a normal banker, but neither as a consultant or a strategist. I, um, I was, when I first started, I started at JP Morgan and I was covering real estate. And I've, I got to witness firsthand the boom and bust of the real estate cycle uh, out of Spain, um, which was pre, right before um, then the, the, the big financial crisis. So I managed to witness all of these events and be at the front seat of them, um, helping companies thrive and navigate through these. Uh, and that has been an amazing experience. Um, I'll never forget um, uh, at the beginning, uh, uh, the boom and bust, it's, it's a hard lesson. Not many people take 
take uh, take that as an example of what of how to read the current status of the market on how to act on it. And at the time, real estate in Spain was a very hot, uh, very hot asset. Everyone was buying a lot of new builds. And uh, all of a sudden, this, the market started tipping over and it was the opposite. Everyone trying to fire sell, uh, companies trying to stay afloat. And uh, some of the biggest lessons I've learned there is that when, when the house is burning, people tend to try to put the fire out with gasoline. So you need to be, you need to be very wary of, uh, uh, of, what, of what management uh, is trying to do and how are they reacting to external events and are they effectively saving the company or they're just digging a deeper hole. And that was eye-opening because and, uh, when you're at that type of event, it doesn't matter if it's equity or it's debt. Uh, it just matters how much capital is still in the company. How can you save? Uh, the, how can you save jobs? And how can you keep the company afloat? I had a, I remember having a CEO calling uh, calling uh, me and and our team at 4 a.m. saying, "I have board tomorrow. Do I need to file for bankruptcy or not? Wow. Please tell me what I need to do." because he couldn't sleep. He was too worried about it. And we did manage to save that company. Um, but others weren't as lucky. Uh, and having survived that, um, it was almost ridiculous. Um, then in 2008, I was speaking with the head of debt capital markets of, J of JP Morgan at a time. And I was telling them, uh, we're announcing debt records every other week in terms of fundraising, shouldn't we be worried? And his reply, which is ingrained in my head uh, as a red flag uh, was, we've learned a lot from, uh, from before, this time is different. And truth, truth before the whole market melted six months afterwards. So be very, whenever someone tells you this time is different, be very, very, very wary and uh, concerned about it. Um, that was an amazing, uh, intellectually, that was an amazing experience because you, you got to see all types of, um, of human behavior and corporate behavior uh, at their best and their worst, um, but also uh, gave me that, uh, that flexibility on how to look very different business models and just trying to see see what's good and what needs to be what needs to be saved from what needs to be trimmed out um, so and after that i did have a stint um, at at an utility company energy and infrastructure had always been been uh, a passion of mine i come from industrial engineering uh, with a specialty on, on the energy side so that has always been a, a passion. And I did a brief stint at EDP, the big, the big mm -hmm. utility. That was also, that was a good experience because I get to live how the decisions are made at the big, the really big utilities, how, why they're slow on reacting. Why can you, why, why can you find very good talent at the same time 
a lot of internal resistance to change. Um, and that gave me a very unique insight uh, on how big companies work and how can you act on it. But after that, um, I moved back to investment banking. And then I've worked with an amazing mentor um, uh, at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, uh, called John Lynch. Um, he was a very positive mentor who helped me execute ideas. And what this means is go beyond just the what if or uh, how is this does this actually work and develop it a little bit further. And with, it was under his stewardship that I started developing my own models to understand power, power markets, getting um, a view of uh, the chessboard of power uh, utilities who were doing good things, who were lagging behind and why, uh, and having a first, uh, a first view, which then helped uh, our, our customers a lot. And that was very interesting because it was the first time that someone actually said, you have the resources from the bank, you have, uh, you have my support, let's try, let's think about these through. And then he would give me all these kind. We had a, a special, uh, I would call the, the sci-fi project and anything that was uh, deemed a sci-fi project, I, was, I would be called in, try to identify um, is it a good project which is misunderstood or is it something that we should, we just shouldn't follow? Uh, and I, that, that also allowed to grow a lot in the technicalities of a lot of these projects, but also identifying who the right management teams were, why, what made them unique, um, that was worth uh, betting on them and, um, and foster more. Uh, how to turn entrepreneurial into uh, into a full working company. Hmm. No, that, that's super interesting. I was going to ask, I've got two follow-ups out of that one. Everything you say, I've got a lot of follow-ups, which is a good thing. <laughs> There's a lot of free. Um, speaking maybe first on um, the this time is different kind of quotes that you're going to in your brain um, from your previous experience. Um, when we look at data centers, and again, we've sort of touched on this before as well, we often see this industry as almost recession-proof, um, nothing can go wrong, something needs to go really, really wrong for it to go wrong, but there's always this kind of feeling of there's a huge safety net around it, you can't fail um, even if you try. Do you think this is about to change or are we still at a journey where we don't really have to worry about it? We are, we're not in recession yet. Um, I was actually reading this morning, it's not been declared officially yet a recession, but things are getting a bit tougher and as the winter will come, especially with uh, the horrors in Ukraine, um, things are going to be tougher uh, all across the boards. Um, do you think we need to stop having, I don't want to call it a plan B, but I'll use plan B as, a, as an example. Do we need to start working on sort of a plan B in case things don't go as well as we often think they go in this industry? Well, I, I think so. Um... It's to be to put very bluntly. It's 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 naive, almost childish, to think that you have uh, something which is recession-proof eternally. Mm. It's childish. Um, you need you need to look at industries 
from what they are. What is it? What value add are they bringing to the table in their own value chain? Um, are they commoditized? Yes or no? And if they're commoditized, in which part of the commodity cycle are they? And you always need to bring that framework to the table. Otherwise, you'll get very disappointing uh, results. And the data center industry is not immune to that, hmm. nor is digital, uh, the digital infrastructure as a whole is not immune to that. Um, there, there will be uh, an oversupply of a certain type of data centers uh, across Europe, and you can see, uh, you can see a lot of new builds coming around. The question is, are these differentiated products or are these commoditized? Because if are, these are commoditized, they will balance themselves by the demand, just the pure demand uh, of those locations. And once that demand is filled, it means everyone else will be left out and will be uh, likely go, go bankrupt. Now, if you have a differentiated product, then that's, that's a different story. Then you need to focus how differentiated is your, uh, is your product and which market do you actually capture? Is your local market or wider market? And I don't think you have enough. I'm new to the industry, but you don't have enough of, the, of these discussions yet. And, and these should exist because data centers are not all the same as clients' workloads are not all the same. And you need, uh, you need things to cater to them. So to your question, um, no, it's not immune. And we need to think about the plan B. Uh, but in order to think about the plan B, you need also need a lot of new data. And there was one of the things that surprised me when I came to the industry is how little uh, data, uh, data available is uh, in, the, in the industry about workloads, type of data centers, where they sit, capacity, uh, and how all these strategies fit together. There's very little data on that. You need to dig deep, and chances are that even digging deep, you will you won't find uh, the right answers. Um, but once you start putting everything in context, you will see there's a clear differentiation between uh, types of data centers and what uh, different clients are looking for, uh, and then you can try to cater to those. If you don't do the exercise, you just think data centers as an asset class independently, uh, then you will be in trouble. Uh, th th that's because I guess because the industry has been um, has always vowed for this secrecy, um, keeping everything behind walls, um, and it doesn't really share much. I mean, I remember doing an interview in 2016 uh, with an executive of one of the two largest data center operators in the world, um, and I and I asked him if uh, we should be talking about data centers more, especially in the, the the wider public, and his answer was, "Why should we? Um, as long as they can access Facebook." we don't need to to tell them how they do it um and they don't need to know that the cloud is not a cloud in the sky so and i think that's still a little bit the mentality it has changed a lot um i'm not, not gonna lie to you even uh, on the media front it has become a little bit easier um, to find out about numbers and how big people are and all this and that but it's still very secret um, exactly exactly and i guess but it doesn't the is point about data the problem, the problem with lack of transparency is always that it will come back and bite you. Yeah. Um, and you can see that already. 
you can see the huge backlash you have on different uh, European locations against data centers, either for reasons of space, of power, or of water. Hmm. All of those, um, and those are valid reasons. Uh, and if you keep on trying to be a secretive group within, uh, the, the, within a larger society or uh, a, larger, a larger sector, you won't find any French. So in order to, to work on a solution, you need to be upfront, what is it that you're looking for? But that's also why I want to make the distinction between what's digital infrastructure and what's hardware and software of, of the final client. Because the hardware and software, those need to be, it's pure on P, no one should know about, about it. But infrastructure, come on, we've been developing huge projects of infrastructure uh, globally since, like, since the Romans. Yeah, well, the human being is very good at, at building uh, exactly. building things and, uh, and the projects are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, just look at Saudi Arabia um, or even Egypt's new capital. But um, also, so my second follow-up question to what you said prior to that is around utility um, examples that you're mentioning, and especially based on your experience, um, power and energy. Um, you're saying they are hard to change, that there's a lot of bureaucracy internally and all that. Um, there's also this conversation that data centers will eventually become uh, an utility kind of asset. Um, so power, electricity, uh, sorry, power, water, gas, and data centers. Um, I mean, what's your view of that? And uh, where, where do you think we are in that journey, if we are on that journey? Um, you, need, you need to think about utility. Utilities are slow to act because their, their MO is to be risk averse. They have to be risk averse in everything they do. So, um, so the first reaction is to be slow to act. Um, that doesn't mean that if they don't learn how to be flexible, they won't lose uh, a lot of markets to other newcomers uh, and, and become obsolete, which, uh, which is a potential, uh, a potential uh, outcome of the utility reinvention that we're witnessing right now. In terms of data centers, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of talk uh, about um, specialty data centers and um, companies who want to enter the reality where their clients should be. Um, and it should be, and I don't think that's the right approach. Yes, that would be infrastructure plus, 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 but um, what your clients need right now is someone who actually understands the basics of infrastructure, how to get it delivered, uh, how to get it best uh, cost-effective. And that's where there's a lot of room. I do think that it will take quite long until you see the full data center industry uh, fully commoditized um, because it requires the development of new skill sets, not just bringing in uh, those in and trying to see if it fits. You actually need to develop those. Um, and the way I see, uh, especially when you're talking large scale, um, you need you need to provide the you need to provide the site the, the actual location uh, the physical aspect of it with all uh, sense of security and all bells and whistles around it but it should also be the driver on how you bring the power about and how you bring the cooling about 
so that your clients can focus on what they do best. And that's where I believe that the data center still needs to grow and will take a lot of time until you, um, you get all of this within the actual industry. And, and perhaps I'm oversimplifying, but let me try to, to explain what I mean. Right now, uh, a lot of data centers, yes, they bring the power, they bring the cooling solutions, but they bring standard market ones and they're not driving the change. For power, for example, they just hire an utility to give, give them the power they need. They may run a process, but they don't, they don't actively manage, uh, manage it. On the cooling, they don't optimize the cooling in order to get the best, the best outcome of their facilities. It's just a reactive it's just a reactive approach. And this reactive or um, uh, second provider type of dependency um, is, can generate some attrition uh, when you compare data center, current data center developers versus what the hyperscalers are doing on their own. Because if you're not providing those services to, to, to hyperscalers, then why? Uh, and they have to do it themselves. And why would they hire the space to you? So unless you you start innovating and bringing more services to them, um, it's hard to save flow, and it hard, it's hard to to compete against them. That, that, that's very interesting. Um, and then Afonso, going back again to you now. Um, I mean, we I, I feel like we could be talking for an entire day. <laughs> there was so much to go through. Uh, but uh, I mean, you had your experience previously at JP Morgan, you went through a lot of different companies, you went to EDP on the energy front. Um, and you just started a new baby. I mean, it's not just it was 2019. But uh, with two years of COVID, um, it feels like there's a time gap in between everything in our lives at the moment. Um, but, um, when you so when you when you go into a new business like this, what is the one thing um, that's non-negotiable to you? Something that you do not open hand off, um, you don't compromise when getting into business. Well, choosing my own, choosing the team. Okay, you cannot cannot compromise. Uh, I know there's a big effort to put glory into individuals, but the reality is that it's a teamwork and. Um, I've been allowed to work with some of the best in the industry, both from the data center and the, and the power industry and bring them on board. Um, and their breadth of experience, it's, uh, it's fascinating and allows us to, to create uh, a unique company from zero with uh, an integrated approach and its own culture. And that's that's pretty much you can I cannot I cannot express how enjoyable it is to be able to do that, hmm. even if uh, they tell you off every now and then because it's their they're their job. But I, I find that to be quite healthy because you don't want um, a yes team. You don't want someone that says yes to everything you say because otherwise the business doesn't move forward. You know, but but that's the, that's ingrained in the culture that we're developing. Yeah, we're, yeah. and and it has to be. I mean, if what we're saying is we're here, one one of the one of the first principles that we've established when we started Star Campus was 
we're not here to do marginal improvements. We're here to do massive improvements or else it's not worth pursuing because establishing a new market, um, getting uh, a new product or slightly improved product to what you've been perceiving in Europe, it you will never get the attention of anyone if you only achieve it's a slight improvement to the status quo. You cannot do that. You need, you need to deliver uh, a massive improvement to the status quo. Hmm. Um, and in order to do that, it means that there can be no sacred rules. Everything needs to be challenged. Uh, we need to look at everything into the first basics. We should not ignore lessons learned. Let's hear them out. Let's understand them, uh, where they come from, why. And going back to basics, can we improve on this? And if you don't have this, this open culture where everyone has a voice um, and can add to the discussion, then you won't achieve this. If you just have yes men, forget it. It's impossible yeah. to drive change. Absolutely. Um, and of course, before we finish this first part of the podcasts, um, I was going to ask you, and this does not have to be related to Start Campus. This can be about your your life journey um, within the industry or even beyond the data center industry. Um, if you could have done one thing differently, what would have you done differently? I probably would have started in, in the sector earlier. <laughs> That's, um, I think I've stayed uh, a long time in investment banking. Uh, and some of the lessons are amazing and they they made me who I am, but I could have, I could have started in this industry a little bit earlier. Yeah, it it is an amazing industry to be in, and um, I mean, in most cases, I'll say ninety nine point nine nine percent of the people, um, it's the industry that comes to them, not they go to into it. Um, maybe they'll change in the next few years as uh, there's more university degrees and more education um, in wider scope of the public, but. So far, most people are approached by the industry. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that, which I will invite you whenever you come to Lisbon is come and meet a team. Um, and I haven't, haven't seen this in quite a while, is how passionate everyone is on this team. Mm. This is a project that, um, that resonates to all their core values and everyone's willing to chip in and help it and improve it bit by bit. No, absolutely. And I mean, I've been following um, the creation of your team and uh, it's some quite extraordinary names. Um, a lot of them, I haven't even heard of them before. Uh, and then when I go and look into it, I was like, wow, this, this person has been involved with this mega thing somewhere else. Um, and it just, it's a great name. So I can't wait to see what happens uh, in scenes and beyond. Uh, but Afonso, before we continue, here's a quick message from our sponsor, Portman Partners. Are you seeking great business minds for your digital infrastructure business? Portman Partners is a unique international executive search firm dedicated to finding the leaders for the digital infrastructure industry. Led by Portman founder and senior partner Peter Hannaford and chairman David Pye, Portman works with clients around the world in the internet and cloud infrastructure sector. Portman has a vast network of contacts around the globe and has placed senior leaders at many of the world's most prestigious organizations in the business. From investors to hyperscale operators, regional colors, designers, construction firms and plant and equipment manufacturers, 
Portman has the talents and experience required to fill a wide range of C-level and leadership positions. No other executive search firm specializing in the digital infrastructure sectors can match Portman's knowledge, industry expertise, or the worldwide connections needed to conduct efficient and confidential searches that will result in successful placements. If you want to be at the top of your sector, get in touch with Portman, the best in theirs. To learn more and connect with Portman via their website, visit www.portmanpartners.com. Welcome back to the second part of the GBM episode with Afonso Lema, CEO of Portugal Start Campus. Um, Afonso, the first part was very, very interesting. Talk about your journey and also your, your views of the markets, uh, which are quite different from the norm, which um, it's really nice to hear uh, for a change. Um, now let's talk about more of the market, especially the Portuguese markets um, and what you're doing on the grounds um, 150 kilometers south of Lisbon. Um, so first, let's, let's talk about Portugal. Um, what has changed in the markets that, that has really put it in the, the, the spotlight um, of the sector? This was a country that two, three years ago, we wouldn't hear anything from. Um, and then whenever you ask someone, are you going to build or buy in Lisbon uh, or in Portugal, sorry, um, you, you didn't get laughed in the face, but you're like, yeah, it's not on the, it's not on the cards for us. Um, and suddenly you came in with 495 megawatts um, and the whole world is looking Portugal. So what has changed um, in the country? Well, that's, that's, that's a very interesting question because uh, what I like to say is that nothing has changed. It's just Portugal has been rediscovered because while you say it's completely true, so five, three to five years ago, no one ever spoke about Portugal. Um, Portugal actually had always had a place in global um, global uh, communication and was one of the major hubs of the Atlantic. And um, there's actually a pretty nice map of eight, um, 1850, which uh, shows Portugal, London, and New York as the major hubs of all telecommunication in the Atlantic because they would gather uh, all communications around and then the communication between these three countries led uh, the entire Atlantic. And, and Portugal kept that position pretty steadily until roughly the 1990s. Um, that's where uh, some of the Portuguese operators uh, started acting much more, looking much more inwardly instead of, um, instead of looking into international and wholesale type of communications. And that left Portugal a little bit adrift on the data uh, on the data development across the world. Now, what we've done is we actually didn't start out of Portugal. So, as as, as I explained to you at the beginning uh, of the podcast, there were there were these two major trends, and the, those major trends um, helped us map out um, five hundred and thirty potential sites across Europe. Then we started looking into how good each of these sites were, and we ended up with a short list of 15 sites. Uh, all of them uh, quite attractive. They still are very attractive, and they can uh, be further developed. But Sinas in particular stood out. Stood out because uh, for the major questions regarding how do you get the cooling, how do you get the how do you get green power. 
how do you get the connectivity uh, that were that they would either be already in place or the solution to to develop those would be fairly uh, fairly simple. Now, once we've signaled Sinus, uh, it started an additional work, uh, an additional hard work, which is figuring out what was the reputation that Portugal had uh, among among data center providers or uh, or hyperscalers. What was it that uh, Portugal would, uh, how would Portugal fare among them? And uh, what we found out is a lot of people had looked into Portugal in the past, but they were driven away, scared by, by essentially three things. One, uh, the perception of doing business uh, in Portugal. It was not the best, the best perception to be, very, to be very open. The second one was the cost of power. And the third one was connectivity. Now, tackling each of these elements, especially I'm, I'm Portuguese born, so it's easier for me to navigate through these. Um, it became apparent that, uh, it became obvious that it was more a matter of perception than actual reality. Um, we are a project of national interest. So in terms of easiness of doing business, we're managing to break all records uh, in Portugal or elsewhere, uh, where we managed to get an undeveloped land to fully construction license uh, with the most stringent requirements um, in seven months. Um, in terms of cost of power, Portugal uh, is lucky enough to be one of the best locations to develop solar. And since in particular has some nuances which are very, very good for solar development and to bring that power directly to the site. Um, and thirdly, connectivity, there's a new boom of subsea cables uh, coming to Portugal, but there's also a tremendous backbone, which was fairly unknown to everyone. Fairly known because operators were not that interested in divulging. Uh, they still perceived that that the backbone was trade secret, so they, they didn't want to tell anyone what they had. And it was harder to get all those maps and pulling out the tooth from, from a child, but we managed to get it. And what we saw is that Portugal actually ticked all the boxes to make this a perfect location. Now, having said that, there have been several attempts to, to build uh, data centers here. And what we're bringing to the table is not so much a data center to cater for the country needs, um, which our project is massively oversized for, for, for what Portugal needs. But it's, um, it's to be a data center that serves the Atlantic, uh, that is hyper-connected and serves the Atlantic um, and, uh, and brings uh, all other continents together uh, into Europe. So that's our purpose. And CNS offered one of the best locations, if not the best location in order to develop that. Um, yeah, and I mean, and the Portuguese government is betting so much um, on scenes becoming this um, fourth industrial revolution gate um, from the Atlantic into Europe and Europe into the Atlantic, um, especially the South of the Atlantic. So it's all very exciting. I mean, I remember when your project was announced 
Um, and it was quite well received, at least on my part, it was received as well, being having been born in Lisbon, um, was well received. And then I had friends and family all sending me the, the links um, into the media in Portugal as it was coming out. Um, and everyone was very excited because we're like, oh, we finally see what you do. <laughs> um, and it was funny as well because it was one of the first projects that I've seen being announced um, at 450 megawatts. And even before you broke ground, you increased the, the, the power capacity to 495. Um, yes. What, what made you change the expected load? The well, load, so the first one is a design issue. Uh, we ended up deciding to do, and the, the, the project was still very live at the time. So we were, were finalizing design while we were um, speaking with authorities, what would make them comfortable, what could we do um, to... Being a project of national interest is, for one side, it helps us a lot on licensing and permits uh, and having the support from uh, all the government bodies that need to look at us. On the other side, it, just, it also means that everyone's looking at us with an excruciating level of detail. So our, uh, our stance is, needs to be wider than white uh, and we need to work with authorities to understand what wider than white for them means. Um, and that means that we have to split the project into two major stages. One, which would be uh, the first building, which is under construction right now, of uh, that's the nest, yeah. uh, a 15 megawatt uh, building. And uh, on that one, we were allowed to build as long as we complied with a simplified uh, environmental uh, license, which we complied uh, with a, a very clean record. And the rest would need a very thorough analysis, which is still undergoing. Um, in the meantime, um, we also dug deeper into the seawater resource. Uh, for us, that's crucial. We want uh, our campus to be waterless uh, in terms of design, which means we don't consume water for cooling. Of course, people need water for toilets and uh, and small kitchens and so on, but not for cooling. We don't consume it. We use seawater, the water comes in, helps cool and goes out, but there's no consumption. Um, so the seawater resource was very important. And we saw that the resource was there, uh, the power was there. We could split uh, the construction into different buildings that would amount for 495. Um, and that's where, where it's sitting right now. Hmm. That's very interesting. interesting. And another very interesting aspect um, of the project is that your backers were sort of the people that kick-started Dublin um, 10 years ago. So they went in, they bet on Dublin, um, and then eventually Dublin became what it is today, one of the, the, the biggest hubs in Europe um, and in the world. What, what do you think your project is going to take the Portuguese market to? It's going to, first of all, it's going to, it's not so much just the, Portugal, uh, the Portuguese market, it's across Europe. It's going to change a lot on how the industry is looking at, at new markets and what's actually valuable and what's accessory to, to the industry. Um, 
in terms of the country, it will bring a tremendous value because we're helping um, uh, an in industrial zone which wasn't declined to reinvent itself. Uh, it's actually sitting in one of the most beautiful areas of Portugal. So, and funny story is the minute that we announced the CV started pouring in from people working at all hyperscalers, as I said, we want to be there, we want to work there. Um, uh, and actually, uh, Luis Rodriguez, we hired out of Google, was one of those, was one of those um, uh, inbounds. Uh, and, and, and that's it. Siemens offers not only all of these factors, which are pretty helpful for, for, for our final clients, but actually in terms of talent retention, it's a place where people actually want to live in. Um, mm -hmm. It's interest. It's not close to to the to. It's not in a near in a big city, but the lifestyle uh, that they can have while working on the data center industry is quite attractive. Mm. No, it's a beautiful location. I mean, and beautiful food as well. Because <laughs> it's exactly. uh, everything <laughs> along along the, the the Portuguese coastline is all very good. Uh, but also this. A lot of this also maybe comes down to, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, the concentrated efforts from the government to attract more international um, investments. I mean, we've seen the tech space in Portugal, the tech industry change a lot over the last 10 years as well, um, with the, the, the welcoming of a lot of startups. Um, we've secured the Web Summit, which of course put Portugal on the, on the map for the startup scene as well. Um, but then with your project, we've seen the government really, really, really involved. We've seen the, the, the Prime Minister, Antonio Costa, um, coming on stage at your launch. Um, you've got a lot of ministers involved with you. Um, we see uh, the, the mayor of Lisbon, even though this is not in Lisbon, the mayor of Lisbon is quite close to the project as well. Um, I mean, how how much do you think the government has helped push the project along? Um, and what, what can we expect on that front? When we, when we announced the project and when we started speaking with the government, we were adamant on what was required. We've told them uh, all the horror stories of data center hubs who tried to sell us themselves and they failed. Um, we've, we've explained what's going on in the rest of Europe and uh, what uh, some government in the backlash that data center industry is having on specific location. We explained why and why our project was different. And we also told them that um, we love Portugal, we love Siemens, but this project will never work if, um, if we don't have their support on uh, helping um, the, the, of the all different bodies who need to license and, and need to, to look into this project, to look at it specifically. One of the things that's happening in the data center and in the data center industry across Europe is that Europe's not ready for digital infrastructure. And you'd be surprised with it. Um, what I mean with this is, and I'm, I'm going to give you a very techy slash anal example for you to understand how, why this is it. Take the US. If you, if you go to tax codes in the US, um, the um, NAICS has tremendous number of tax codes for, for the entire value chain of the industry. Tremendous. Uh, you go to Europe, there's one, there's only one tax code which is applicable and that's applicable to data centers no matter what size and what flavor 
and also applicable to web portals. So it means that at the core, at the highest level of bureaucracy, Europe is not ready to look into digital infrastructure. Hmm. And that has impacts. And you'd be surprised on how that impacts the entire licensing procedures everywhere. Because the, your authorities in Portugal, Spain, uh, France, Italy, they don't know which tax code to put data center industry in. They don't know it. And believe me, that will cause licensing delays. So, and this is just a small snippet of, of the potential obstacles that you have in licensing procedures. So we were adamant that we needed that support. We needed, we said, this is a, this is a new industry to the country. Um, there will be some hurdles and some challenges uh, that we need to overcome. Uh, we are as transparent as you want us to be, but we need your help. We need your help on, on, on driving this driving this home. And that's why we've, we've submitted for the PIN um, for the PIN application because the PIN is a, is a tool that the Portuguese government has to help um, projects like ours. Hmm. But, you, and that's it. And one and, and probably uh, your follow-up question, uh, at least that's a follow-up question that many people have, uh, is we're not getting any government money on this. Any hmm. this the the project is hundred percent privately um, uh, privately funded. Yeah, and uh, and we wanted to remain so because. Otherwise, we will put the government on a potential conflict of interest, and then it starts meddling things. And this allows us to be separate um, and have different roles. Oh yeah, no, no. You, you will end up being like the new um, Lisbon airport and being exactly. the draw for fifty years. <laughs> well, or worse, the Berlin airport. <laughs> that one, that one is done and still hasn't opened for <laughs> fifteen years. Um, but I, I was actually going to ask, do you think we will see um, the government in, in Portugal? And maybe you can lift a little bit of the veils because I believe you, you'll be in the corridors um, of the National Assembly hearing the thing at this stage. Do you think we'll see the creation or the simplification um, of new taxes, tax benefits, um, new schemes, fast tracking for data center applications? Do you think we'll see a little bit of that in Portugal, like we've seen in Dublin, in Northern Virginia, um, in, in some other locations? Um, yes and no. So, so yes, for a lot of the hurdles, which are now preventing the, the evolution of the center, uh, of, of the data center industry, which we are working already with the government and all operators in the country to um, help them move and, uh, and, show, uh, uh, and showcase what's going on in the rest of Europe, what's going on in the US, in order to allow the country to be more developed. So that one is, 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 is working already. In terms, there will, there will likely be incentives um, which uh, are being mulled. But no, I don't think it will be massive tax breaks or something like that, uh, because that would collide with a lot of um, new EU and uh, EU rules, which the government wants to stay steer away from. So mm -hmm. I do think that we will lead uh, a little bit on the efforts 
uh, on how to unlock further data centers here in the country, um, which very likely we'll see other European countries imitating as well. Yeah. Um, and it's, we often see things starting in Portugal and being um, uh, copied in other countries, especially along the southern, along southern Europe. Um, exactly. Picking up on our talk before about as well um, a bit of the lack of data and the, the, the lack of transparency in the industry. Uh, one thing that your project doesn't lack on is transparency. There's a lot of transparency. Uh, I mean, in, in the country, this is the, the, one of the biggest foreign investments in more than 30 years. Um, I believe the last one was Auto Europa by Volvo in 91. Um, and I think your project probably amounts to more money, to more billions than, than Auto Europa did back then, um, which, of course, this led to a lot of attention from the media. So you were on all the Portuguese media, um, all the TV channels, radios, everywhere, um, start campus appeared everywhere. What was the public's reaction to the project? So not the industry, the industry, of course, is excited, but what was the public, the, the, the person on the streets, um, saying about this project because we, we we have seen a lot of black uh, back black backlash um, in a lot of other cities. Um, so and now that we are starting this journey, what's been the reaction? Uh, extremely positive. Um, everyone is looking uh, at us um, as a future of that region, um, and that we can bring. Uh, new opportunities for, for a region that has been deprived uh, of those for, for many years. Um, so they're, they're welcoming. And when we tell them that we want to bring, uh, we want to be engaged with community and how we're, we're, we want to be engaged with community um, and we bring best, best practices uh, across the globe into the, these they get surprised on, and they're, they're our best advocates. Um, I, think, I think the only negative reactions we had at the beginning were for, from some uh, local operators who tried to benchmark us and tried to put us in a box like other uh, failed data centers uh, in the country. Uh, and now they're all coming to realize that we're not even competing with them because we're on a different, uh, we're a different market segment. And if we're successful, they'll be successful as well. Uh, but now, right now, the momentum is very positive. Um, I, do, I do see every now and then people stopping by our construction site um, and just pointing and talking a lot, a lot about it. Um, uh, but it's so far, so far, very, very positive. I can imagine. Well, I know from my um, my own friends who don't understand that much about data centers, everyone is very excited um, to finally see a project like this taking place <laughs> there. Um, but uh, Alfonso, I was also going to ask because Start Campus, of course, it's your your full time job. But you've also you're also the founder and partner of another venture called Light Fossil, um, yes. and this is on the energy front. So. Tell us more about Light Fossil. What does it do? What is it? Um, and what's working on it? Well, Light Fossil was supposed to be my uh, my vehicle to develop projects like <laughs> like Sims 4.0. Oh. Um, <laughs> in the end, I ended up doing it. Uh, now it's a full-time job. Um, but I do have a couple of other projects which I'd love to pursue. Um, but right now they're on the freezer. Um, given that um, establishing a new market, it's 
you need you need to be fully focused on delivering this. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's a big big task to put something on the map. Um, but and then we are we are getting close to the end now as well um, of this episode. But um, I was going to ask. We again we sort of touched on it before, but um, going a bit more in depth, taking into account everything that's happening um, today on the energy front. So the energy crisis, prices going up, um, the delicate situation that we still live in in Europe and will probably continue to live over the next few months. Um, what's your view? the energy market and how is that going to translate the data center space is it going to increase construction prices is the price going to be passed on to the consumer what's what's your vision of what's going to happen in the next 12 months um and of course well, this is all very dependent need, on how things in ukraine go uh i think you need to you need to split uh what's going on in the in the energy sector you need to split into uh different moments so you have um, I mean, I keep on saying that to the team, winter is coming uh, and winter is going to be extremely challenging for Europe uh, this year. We are on a record drought, um, some say 500, uh, 500 year uh, record drought across, across the globe, impacting Europe in particular. Um, you have uh, an increased scarcity of gas due to the conflict. Uh, Russia, Ukraine. Um, so the next, the next six months are going to be extremely sensitive. Now, after those six months, uh, what you'll see is an up, an up, an uptake on renewables. Um, and uh, in the long, in the long run, this has probably pushed for any more need on renewables and, and um, endogenous sources of power than ever in Europe. Now, what this, sorry, I received the call. I received the call, I'm not sure if it's interrupted the call. Um, I was just making notes. So I think one of the most important things to bear in mind is that this conflict has changed the perception of energy security uh, in Europe. Uh, and, and perhaps um, for the very long term. What does that mean? Um, we moved away from uh, an oil-based, pure oil and coal-based uh, economies into a much more gas-driven one. And which meant we moved from a dependency on particularly the Middle East, to Russia. And now all of a sudden, we have this huge dependency on Russia um, and our energy security has never been so fragile as it is right now. Hmm. That will provoke a tremendous rethinking of all energy systems across, across Europe. Um, it will also, the, the drought that, that we're living it also will force a discussion on, um, on power planning because you cannot have, you need to be ready for, for the Black Swan events. And the Black Swan events can be, you have some massive dams uh, in some countries who help sustain the lack of power, but they only touch on emergency uh, situations or you have uh, a reservoir of, uh, uh, of oil or hydrogen or whatever uh, will help to 
to mitigate uh, these events. But what you cannot have is a winter uh, that will be the same as the one that we're going to live to live in. Now, how does how does that translate into the DC industry? I don't think that energy has ever been such a critical component of uh, of data centers as it is right now. So. Whoever thought that location would always trump um, energy sourcing need to rethink uh, their strategy very fast. Because when you have markets which can achieve 1,000 euros per megawatt hour, that can kill and put out of business any, uh, any data center. To put into context, uh, and, and perhaps this, this is a good exercise for you to just size how important energy is for data centers, especially hyperscale ones. Um, for a deployment of our size with average PoEs and average power prices, which I mean, if we didn't do anything to revolutionize all, how these would be, three years of cost of power would be amount to the same capex that it's being done just three years. And that is insane. That's how relevant, that's how relevant power is to the DC industry. And people fail to realize, I'm not sure if they're going to survive this winter. Yeah, well, I mean, let's keep the hope going that worst case scenarios, they don't take place. Um, and winter, and, and things start getting on a better track than they are right now. Well, the good thing is, is it force it will force all all these industries rethinking, to, yeah. to rethink and become green and uh, don't be so reliant on a single partner, uh, especially when it's a foreign uh, foreign country to provide a commodity. Um, rethink how and that that will all only make the industry and Europe much much stronger. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. And we, we need to invest in renewables and adopt them a lot faster than we were looking at even just last year. Um, so you're not too concerned about when Brussels um, is asking countries to activate cold plants. Um, you think it's like a short term measure, just survive this winter. And then after the next six months, then we can go back on the, the renewable trail. That's it. I, what my, my two cents for what's going to happen and the, the State of the Union speech is coming uh, fast. So my two cents uh, on it is that there will be some emergency measures taken. Mm -hmm. So coal plants, which are due to be the commission can uh, probably stay uh, on for a little while or even uh, nuclear plants who are uh, bound to be the commission uh, hang on a little bit more. But these facilities, they cannot live forever. You, all, yeah. you, you need either need to refurbish them entirely in order to accommodate uh, a different, a much extended uh, time for uh, um, uh, a time uh, of life, or you develop new sources. And I think the option will be always to develop new sources, more that will help decarbonize, but also give more energy security. Hmm. 
Okay. Um, well, Alfonso, um, I, I know I've taken so much time from you today, but uh, I've got <laughs> a few more to go. <laughs> uh, and then these ones, I like to ask them to every single person that comes on the, um, on the podcast. Uh, so the first one is, what is the best and the worst advice you've ever received? Um, well, the worst advice is the one I think I mentioned is, don't worry, this time it will be different. Uh, I think that's, that came as something as a red flag. Um, and, uh, but it is ingrained. It is ingrained and it helps steer a lot of decisions. Um, the best uh, advice, um, it, this was an advice which was told not on a single conversation, but through several ones. Uh, and I, I believe it's still the best one that I ever received, which is empower people below you. Don't be afraid of them challenging you because whenever someone challenges you, um, it could be either of two. Um, if, and if you hire right, uh, it can be only uh, uh, one of these two. One, it's an opportunity for that person to grow, something that they don't know and they need to, to learn uh, in order to evolve. Or it's something that you missed and you need to be very wary about it. So surround yourself of very smart people and let them, um, and let them challenge everything hmm. uh, so that you, you become much stronger through, through discussion and through these type of learning experiences you have a much better product to your final clients, always. One person can't do it alone, and it's um, you need to bring in the talent from the diverse spectrum as well. Um, exactly. And Alfonso, final one. What is your favorite quote? Um, by who and why? I mean, there are a lot of. Uh, I used to have a quote of the day, which I used to send to my to my team. I might I might actually start it again. Um, <laughs> There's one misrepresented quote. Uh, it's attributed to Albert Einstein, although it's been proven that he hasn't, he wasn't the one saying. But I like that a lot, which is insanity is doing something over and over again and expecting different results. And this one ties with the, this time is different uh, type of approach, uh, which is if you start a new endeavor and you're just repeating what someone else has tried it's not going to be different because it's you. It can only be different if you do something which is actual different. So to follow the crowd and do something as everyone else is doing with the same type of solution and expecting a different result, it's irresponsible. You need if to, to, to do change, you need to drive change. Absolutely. Um, you you got to get up and get on pull your sleeves up and start doing something. Um, exactly. And as we say in Portugal, literal translation, the secret is the soul of the business. Um, so before jumping out there, it's important to do all the homework um, and really research and dig deep into what you're doing to then come up with something completely new um, and innovative and disruptive. Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
Afon Salema, CEO of Portugal Startup Campus. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been long overdue as well. It's been uh, I've been trying to speak to you for a while, so it's been a pleasure really um, speaking to you. And I can't wait to see how these projects and other projects develop over the next, uh, well, I was going to say the next year. It's not just the next year, over the next decade and beyond, because um, I'm sure you're in this for the long run. Exactly. John, thank you. It was my pleasure as well. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to review and share this episode and follow the Great Business Minds podcast on all your favorite streaming and social media platforms. You can find the links in the podcast description. Thank you again to our sponsor, Portman Partners, the leading executive search firm for the digital infrastructure sector. Portman finds the talent you need to protect and enrich your assets. They get it right the first time, every time. Do subscribe to the podcast and we invite you back again for the next episode of the definitive show for the business of digital infrastructure, the Great Business Minds podcast. See you then.